Hello and welcome. I'm Sophie Kilvert and today I'm really pleased to be joined by Mike Aslan. Mike is the founder and CEO of Carbon Cap Management and we've recently added the World Carbon Fund to Expri, our sustainable strategy. Welcome Mike, thanks very much for joining us. It seems that 2019 was the year that sustainability really became mainstream. We saw Extinction Rebellion shut down cities completely. Uh, Greta Thunberg became a household name and very much a figurehead of the movement. Uh, We even saw bans on plastic bags in high street shops. And simple things like consumers started using reusable cups and water bottles, which really signaled a change in, I think, people's attitudes uh, towards climate change. It felt like we turned a corner. How are we, Mike, in terms of climate change and the progress towards the Paris Agreement? Yeah, so there's no question that 2019 will, I think, go down in the history books as a um, a, a changing point, a turning point in the fight uh, on climate change. I think from the point of view of a, a, a whole number of fronts, um, uh, two of which, you know, I think that uh, Extinction Rebellion and, and Greta um, and the, you know, the, the climate strike um, of, of young people, um, in schools, all have had quite a big impact um, to communicate the message of the climate crisis to more people, just people that were, um, to be honest, completely really unaware of the severity of the climate situation. So it, it was a it was a year of, of real transition in in raising awareness, uh, and that of course translated into uh, changes made by policymakers. We saw um, in the United Kingdom uh, the the enactment into legislation of a net zero emissions target for 2050. Uh, a number of countries in 2019 uh, also followed suit and have gone for a net zero carbon emissions target in, in, in by 2050. Um, in, the, in the case of California, they've gone for 2045. So there, there was definitely a move, an increase in awareness and uh, increase in ambition by policymakers. But, but there still is is a long ways to go. But, but it was a wonderful, wonderful year. And we saw that reflected in the high street amongst normal consumers. Was it reflected in the investment community as well? D- definitely, it was, and and it's becoming in the investment community uh, a a much bigger recognition now that climate change poses a whole range of risks for investors, both investors in equity, investors in fixed income. I mean, uh, as one example, um, S&P and Moody's downgraded, this is 2018, more than 100 fixed income um, issues, uh, bonds were downgraded in their credit rating solely due to climate change related risk factors. So I, I would also say that um, you know 2019 was a watershed where uh, things like the TCFD, the task force on, on climate related financial disclosure, this was a really important initiative that also gained momentum. And um, it was founded by Mark Carney and, and Mike Bloomberg, who are both uh, big climate change um, advocates in terms of you know uh, identifying the problem and acting on it, and I think from a from the investment management industry, it's now increasingly recognized that they, there are 
multitudes of risks that the economy will face and is facing, and then, of course, individual companies if they don't address uh, climate change. And I suppose we should turn to, to what we're seeing at, at the moment, obviously, with, with COVID-19 and the lockdowns globally that we've seen. People aren't traveling. Uh, factories have shut. Um, so we are seeing fundamental environmental changes at the moment, certainly in the short term. I suppose, how much do you think any of these will last? People generally have quite short memories. Do you think people will go back to, to how it was before? So I, I, I certainly am hopeful that the, the whole experience, which has been you know, quite horrific, I think, for, for everyone, uh, and it has barely been, been global, um, I, I would say there's been there's been two things that have happened that that give me some hope. Um, the the first is I guess when we want to focus on a global issue that we think is of existential importance that has such a big you know potential impact in this case you know um, um, human human lives, it, it is amazing to see the world uh, operate uh, in harmony to impose policies. Um, restrictions uh, and and um, take measures that allow us to address a global you know a global threat. So that that you know it it really demonstrates we can do it. We have the capability to do that. I think the other the other I think hopeful thing um, that that some good can come out of this terrible situation is that people will hopefully reflect more about how systemic issues um, come home to roost. And, um, and, and certainly, I'm, I'm not drawing a link between climate change and, and COVID-19, but, but I, I think that there are similarities in terms of both represent a global threat. Um, they hit rich and poor. Um, it's, not, uh, uh, it's not something, and, and climate change is very, very similar in, in those respects. And so one would hope that um, when uh, politicians and policymakers are thinking about making decisions now um, regarding climate change, that, that perhaps they will think more long term in terms of trying to address the climate change uh, crisis. Mm. But I suppose, is that one of the problems that you can see maybe in the future? Obviously, governments are having to pour huge amounts of money into economies to, to keep them going. While green policies were generally becoming more mainstream, if governments are pretty strapped for cash, do you think they'll become more of a nice-to-have? Um, and actually, some of those projects that do cost money might be sidelined in the future. It, it, there's no question that um, there's kind of going to be short and medium term and longer term rever reverberations from, from COVID-19. But um, in terms of what we're seeing right now, right, right up to date, I mean, even this week, um, there were very strong statements made by both uh, Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, uh, Angela Merkel in Germany, both, both being very clear that their ambition and commitments to climate change policies is not going to be put at threat due to COVID-19. Um, and, and in some cases where there is um, stimulus and, and spending packages, the real uh, focus in many cases has been to try to tilt those 
to, to the green side as much as possible. And, and I'm certainly, you know, I'm, I'm certainly sure there will be some areas where we will lose out um, in spending or supply chains will be, will be impacted. But on balance, um, so far, I think the policymakers seem to be hold, holding the line on green policies. Thinking about the changes that we do need to keep, those systemic changes on an economic level, obviously people aren't travelling so much, people are becoming much more used to remote working. What would you like to see, the, the habits that will change forever? Yeah, I think, I think there's no question um, two impacts from this that, um, uh, that many people are discussing are the fact that companies, um, certain companies have realized they're able to um, run their businesses um, and those that have been only mildly or not, not affected at all have been able to run their businesses with people, you know, um, by and large being at home and not in offices. So they, you know, from a profit motive perspective, they're, they're, they're looking hard at saying, could we in fact um, go with more flex working and um, take 25% take of the workforce um, on hot desking and take 25% of our rent, <clears throat> our office rent down, you know, and, and release office space and, and um, you know, cut costs. So I think that's one inter interesting uh, thing. I think the second one will be the air travel, business air travel. I think, again, um, to the extent that people have found that video conference calls have worked reasonably well, I'm sure business travel will, will bounce back quite strongly, but I think there will be a case where people recognize, well, actually, perhaps in this case, we could do a video call rather than, you know, jumping on that flight. So <clears throat> I think, you know, British Airways has said that they think there, there will probably be a couple years before they're back to the 2019 peak levels. So in both those cases, there's a little bit less, um, less carbon impact. Um, but, but, you know, I think <clears throat> the biggest one has to come from the policymakers. We, we have to see the policymakers um, increasing ambition. And in terms of that, what would you like them? What would you like to see them do? Well, um, you know, I mentioned the the net zero the net zero targets. I think that uh, you know when you understand, I, I I think the economic impacts of climate change over the next twenty years, <clears throat> the numbers are the numbers are quite staggering. So you know, a few, a few we've we've warmed the planet by one degree already. We know that we're certainly on a pathway. Probably we have about 10 years before we hit 1.5 degrees. In one one point at 1.5 degrees, we lose approximately 75% of all coral reefs on the planet. And at, at two degrees warming, which we're certainly on a track um, to to exceed that right now, um, we lose 99% of all coral reefs on the planet. So these are um, that just gives you one very small, you know, but 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 very real impact of this increased warming. Um, the the budget that we have remaining of emissions, and we're emitting about 37 billion tons every year. Um, we have about you know eight, eight to 12 years of of emissions before we are going to emit enough such that we will breach that 1.5 degree target. And then again, not long after that, we will we will breach the two degree target. So, you know, Europe right now has um, in the European emission trading system, which which we're very involved in, um, an annual decline in emissions of 2.2% of beginning next year. Um, 
I would highly recommend people to download and read the United Nations Environment Program um, Emissions Gap Report. This is a report that's been coming out every year now for more than a decade, and it, it highlights the gap between what we're doing and what we would need to do. And according to that report, between now and 2030, we, we should be cutting our emissions by approximately 7% a year to be on track for the, for the uh, 1.5 degree target or 5% a year for the, for the two degree target. So we're, we're still some way off that, which means we're, we're, going, to, we're going to breach those limits and, and unfortunately, breaching those limits means things like very nasty climate feedbacks begin to kick in, which warm the planet of their own accord. And that's a, a personal area that I'm um, very deeply um, involved in and, and very worried about. So I really hope the Paris Agreement thresholds, the two degree threshold is something that we will meaningfully target and, and achieve. So the World Carbon Fund, in, in which we invest in, in, in Expri, that deals with carbon trading and, and those carbon caps that you briefly mentioned there. Could you just go into a little bit, a bit more detail about that so we understand it? Yeah. <clears throat> so the, the, the first thing is to understand um, a, a cap and trade system as a policy. And in, in Europe, to, to um, just describe the system, um, it, it works, it was implemented in 2005, and it works by placing a total cap on emissions um, from all the big emitters, the utilities, the cement companies, the, the, the steel companies, the major emitters in the economy. And um, in total, these large emitters are responsible for about 1.6 billion tons of annual emissions. And then every year that um, those emissions certificates are auctioned or allocated to those underlying companies and the total amount is capped and is reduced every year. So it, it, it allows business to understand that they will have to reduce their emissions because the amount of permits drops every year. And so effectively um, they get more expensive. Yes, yeah, so we, we drop the supply of carbon uh, each year, and it is hoped by the policymakers that um, when you, you drop the supply, but if demand keeps going up, um, as economies grow, generally emissions grow. Now, one of the interesting things, of course, is renewable energy. As, as more renewable energy comes onto the electricity grid, that means we have to burn less coal and less gas. I mean, um, I, I don't know if you're aware, but we're currently, we just hit two days ago, the longest record period of 19 days in the UK where we have burned zero coal. So, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's a wonderful achievement. Um, so the cap and trade uh, market works by capping, but allowing the companies to trade. So somewhere in the system, someone has to reduce their emissions. And the trading means that the, the company that has the lowest cost of reduction, they are the company that will reduce. So we, we, achieve, we, we hit the environmental objective of capping and lowering our emissions but we've done it at the lowest cost to society. And that's very, very important. And that's one of the reasons why I like, I like this very much as a policy. And indeed, it's, it's why it's spreading around the world. China is now launching, the Philippines, Indonesia, Mexico, a whole number of countries are now launching their own cap and trade programs, which is, which is uh, good news. So in your view, that's one of the, the fundamental parts of keeping the environmental changes going and, and getting to that Paris Agreement threshold. It, it certainly 
while there are a number of policies in, in, in my studies, um, it's one of the only policies that has really bent the curve of emissions at scale. There's been many, you know, smaller things, but, um, you know, at scale, by that I mean in Europe, we are now down 1 billion tons per year in emissions. In a, in a world of 37 billion tons, that is moving the needle. So, um, you know, it, it becomes an issue of, you know, what, what policies do we want to fight for that have an, an opportunity to bend those emissions down at the scale that we need? And I think that cap and trade as a policy can do that. So while obviously no one has a crystal ball and we don't know where we're going to be in sort of five, ten years, where would you like us to be um, in five years time, for example, in, in terms of climate change? What would you like to see um, have happened by then? I would I would really like to see. Um, obviously, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of, of carbon pricing. I mean, you, you can. Um, you can put a price on carbon emissions, and we know they're exacting a real cost on our economy. So the way that economists typically deal with that, that that's called a market externality, is you have to put a price on it. So the, the reallocation of resources can, can be done efficiently. Um, so I would really like to see an increase in, in carbon pricing. Um, that, that can mean a carbon tax, and there, uh, many economists are in favor more of a carbon tax rather than a cap and trade uh, system. So. Um, you know, we're, we're at such a crisis level regarding climate change, in my view, that I think we need every policy lever to be pulled to its, to its fullest extent. So if, um, you know, if it's a carbon tax, that's fine. If it's an expansion of cap and trade to more countries around the world, um, you know, to give you an example, when China launches later this year, um, there will be 20% of emissions on the planet will be covered by either a carbon tax or a cap and trade system. So it's great, but it's only 20%. And in a market-based economy, where we, which is where we live today, that, that economy is, is impacted by supply, demand, and price. So putting a price on carbon emissions, I think, really moves the needle um, in getting business and industry to react. Well, that's great. Hopefully, some of those changes will happen once we move out of, of the situation that we are in and we can we can keep some of the tangible benefits that I think we're all seeing at the moment of if the air feels cleaner um, with fewer cars on the road and, and fewer planes in the sky. So if we can see those benefits and keep things moving, hopefully um, the, the, the forward movement that we had in 2019 won't be lost. I, I certainly hope so. I think we've got we've got wonderful momentum. I think we've got wonderful awareness now, more than ever before. It, it feels like we've we've passed the tipping point where you know climate change is something that people are becoming more and more aware of. Having having said that, I am still constantly surprised, especially within our industry, the finance industry, at how many people that work in the industry really are still somewhat in the dark on the issue, on the real facts on the issue. So that's part of our mission is to raise awareness, particularly among people in finance, in the investment industry, because um, they obviously control some of those levers. Well, hopefully we've gone some way to doing that today. Thank you ever so much for joining us, Mike. We really appreciate it. Real, real pleasure. Thank you very much and uh, really enjoyed it and have, have a good rest of the day. Thanks, Mike. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. 
Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.